What are you anxious about as you sit here in church today? My guess is that most of us, if not all of us, will have something that's kind of pressing in on us, that's, that's giving us anxiety, that's uh, causing us to fear today. And what I want to do this morning is quite simple, really. It is to remind you of this, that Jesus is bigger than your fear. Jesus is bigger than this problem that is pressing in on you today. That's simply what I want to show you. It's a profound and transforming truth if we can get it. And we need people to keep reminding us of this. That Jesus has awesome authority, that he is king over all creation, that he died and he rose again, he's returning, uh, bringing in his everlasting kingdom, and he is bigger than your fear. Mark displays this just in a beautiful way, in the way that he puts historical events side by side in Mark's gospel. So I want you to open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 4. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, turn to page 1006 in the Red Church Bibles, page 1006. It's a long reading. We're going to read from uh, chapter 4, verse 35, to the end of chapter 5. But I want you to listen out to those things that unite all these events together. Particularly notice the references to fear and faith. Fear and faith. Mark chapter 4 verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples... Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. 
when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered round him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. 
after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. Well, just a few days with Jesus. Wow, what a thing to walk with Jesus. What a thing to live with Jesus, (laughs) to see such remarkable things. Mark has put these four uh, historical events side by side to confront us with four extreme fear-provoking situations that are just beyond human control. Disaster, demons, disease, and death. I don't know what you're worried about today, but they're probably under those four Ds somewhere, aren't they? Disaster, demons, disease, and death. So let's look at these fearsome circumstances. First of all, disaster. uh, That opening account as they crossed the Lake of Galilee. There, verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so it was nearly swamped. Uh, These disciples, they knew this lake. They had made their living from it. They were fishermen there. And they knew how bad the storm was and they thought that they were going to die. And incredibly, Jesus was so exhausted from a day of teaching, he's fast asleep in the boat. He's got his head on the cushion there, nice little eyewitness detail. He's got his head on the cushion, and he's fast asleep, and they can't believe it. And they finally wake him up. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? They're looking at disaster and death in the face, and there is nothing much they can do about it. Then the next story, demons. I mean, from the forces of, 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 of wild nature, uh, there's the forces of wild, the supernature, supernatural. And, and, you know, these disciples are absolutely terrified from their experience on the boat. They were, they, were, they were frightened to begin with. They were even more terrified by the end. And they pull over to the other side. And of all the places to stop, they stop somewhere close to these tombs. And they get out of the boat, and what they see? They see this crazy man screaming and running at them. Coming at them. Can you imagine that? What a day! And here is a fearsome man who, who is beyond human control. Mark just underlines that in the text, doesn't he? Look at verse 3. Uh, no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. He could break the chains apart. Verse 4, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Here's someone who is beyond human control. He is a terrifying individual. You wouldn't want to meet this guy on Halloween. You wouldn't want to meet him any day of the year, I don't think. He's described as a kind of a, like an animal really. He's an outcast. He's a a frightening man. He's a tortured soul. He's he's self-harming. He's hurting himself. He's screaming. And he's living amongst the tombs. He's the living dead. And of all the places to land, they do it right here. And this crazy man is running straight at them. The next account, disease. Uh, Mark gives the story of two females. One of them, uh, an older woman with a chronic debilitating disease. Look at verse 25. 
She'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This woman had lived for 12 years in quiet desperation. She'd been to all the doctors, she tried all the treatments, but her misery just continued. The best medicines could offer had done her no good at all. Verse 26, she'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She is, she's beyond human help. There's nothing that they can do for her. But her story, of course, is intertwined with the most desperate story of all, the story of the death of this little girl. The synagogue ruler is absolutely desperate. How else could you explain uh, how this important man in the community would come to this renegade preacher and fall on his knees before him and beg him, would you come to my house? Would you come and heal my daughter? She's desperately sick. Would you come, Jesus? Would you come? There isn't much time left. This darling girl is fading away. Now what wouldn't you do for your children? And he must have just had this brief moment of hope when Jesus agreed to come. But then as he walked along, Jesus stops. He, he has a conversation with someone. And then, then the awful thing happens. They've waited too long. The news comes, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. Now, all these events are fearful circumstances. I mean, this is, this is why we have fear, isn't it? This is why we have anxiety. It's because we're facing things that are beyond our feeble resources. We're facing situations that we can't control. We're dealing with something that's bigger than us. And, and we know it's going to overwhelm us. There's nothing we can do. And we're anxious and we are fearful. And that's exactly what Mark puts here. Four terrible, fearsome circumstances. But I want you to notice with me, what makes the difference? What makes the difference? It's Jesus and his words that make the difference. Jesus and his words make the difference in every situation. Let's go back to the storm. Teacher, teacher, they, they shout, don't you care if we drown? And what does Jesus do? Is he like a master yachtsman, jumps up, grabs a tiller, uh, does some special oil work? No, nothing of that. He does something insane at one level. He stands up and he speaks to the storm. He commands the storm. He treats it like some obedient dog. Quiet, be still. And suddenly, the wind goes like that. And the waves drop like that. And from this chaotic scene where they think they're going to die, they're in utter stillness. And they're completely calm. What makes the difference? Jesus and his words make all the difference. And then from the raging storm to this raving man. You know, he's screaming, he's running straight at the disciples, and he comes and just falls at the feet of Jesus. They didn't expect that. Look at 5 verse 6. Remember, here's the one that no one could chain or subdue, and he runs straight at the feet of Jesus. And then they have this incredible dialogue. The man is screaming it out to Jesus, verse 7. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Now this is a struggle of titanic proportions. Uh, when, when 
Jesus asks his name, he says his name is Legion. Now, in, in the Roman army, a legion was a company of about 5,000 to 6,000 men. But right from the beginning, Jesus is completely in control. Uh, all these evil spirits can do is fall before Jesus and beg him permission to stay nearby. Now, the, the pig incident is a very strange incident, isn't it? Uh, Jesus gives permission uh, to these evil spirits to enter into the pigs in the, in the field nearby. And this results in the whole herd being destroyed as they run like kind of lemmings into the, into the lake. Now, what's this about? I don't think it's a kosher meat statement. I think Jesus is allowing us to see how destructive Satan is. This is what Satan does when he gets his hold on people's lives. He dehumanizes people. That's what he's done to this man who has been tortured. And then, and then he, this destruction of the livestock shows exactly what Satan wants to do with people. He dehumanizes and he destroys all of God's good creation. But the remarkable thing in this story is not the pigs. It's the transformation of the man, isn't it? Look at the change of this man by the end of the incident. Look at chapter 5, verse, verse 15. When they, came, when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, they hadn't seen that in a long time, and in his right mind. And they were very afraid. And what made the difference? What changed the situation? Jesus. Jesus and his words change the situation. Now the woman with the medical condition seems a little bit different, doesn't it? She, um, she's bold enough simply to, to reach out and to touch uh, Jesus as he goes by in the crowds because she believes that just doing that will be enough to heal her disease. It was a very bold thing for her to do because of the nature of her medical problem she was considered to be ceremonially unclean. Uh, this woman not only having to go through all the, uh, the discomfort and the tiredness and the exhaustion of, of her medical condition, she would have not been able to have attended the synagogue. She would not have been able to have gone to the, the temple. She was ceremonially unclean because of her condition. For 12 years, she'd been isolated from her community. But her faith in Jesus is such, she just thinks, if I just touch him, and she's healed instantly. Now the question is, why did Jesus stop? Why did Jesus stop? The disciples are clearly irritated by his behavior. A really important person has come. It's the synagogue ruler. And, and Jesus is stopping to have a chat. Look, Jesus, they're, they're all pressing around you. Why, why are you worried that someone's touched you? What's this about? Let's keep moving. But Jesus is not so rushed that he doesn't take the time to meet with this woman. You see, she's come for healing, but actually Jesus wants a personal relationship with her. And he takes the time to stop. And after saying, who touched me, finally, trembling, no doubt, she comes forward, verse 34, and he says these amazing words to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace from your suffering. 
There's no censure. There's no rebuke. She has not made him unclean. Quite the opposite. He has made her clean and whole. He has fully restored her. But even more than that, he um, publicly pronounces to all who are hearing, to all her community, she's healed. You can welcome her back. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? See, what's changed and transformed the life of this woman is Jesus and his words. And finally, we make it to the ruler's house. And already the professional mourners are doing their paid work, weeping and wailing. And Jesus actually manages to make them laugh. Even if it's a derisory laugh, look at verse 39. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Now this was laughable. They knew a corpse when they saw one. This girl was dead. But after getting everybody out of the room, except the parents and a few disciples, he, taken, he takes the girl by the hand, he takes the corpse by the hand. This is incredible. And he says, Talitha, come which in Aramaic it means, little girl, I say to you, get up. What an extraordinary moment. I don't know whether you've ever been to um, a wake where the, the casket is open and the person's lying there. I, in America, it was quite common to have these open caskets. Even in the surface, it was kind of unnerving, really. And uh, you, you, you look at a corpse and you... You turn, you think, have they moved? No, they haven't. They're so still. It's just so, it's so, it's, it's, it's weird. No life. I have never in a million years thought of taking a hand and say, get up. But Jesus does. Get up. And she gets up. Can you imagine any happier parents in the whole world at that moment in time? Jesus can, can wake a dead person to life like we can wake up a sleeping person. Amazing. What makes a difference? Jesus and his words make the difference. Talitha come. Now, all these situations beyond human power and control, but they're not beyond his control. Do you get that? They weren't bigger than Jesus, were they? Jesus just had to speak. And it all changed. And do you know what? Each situation is just like a mini picture of salvation. Do you understand what salvation means when we talk about salvation? Well, it's just like every one of these situations. They're little mini pictures of disaster and danger and demons and oppression and, 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 the, and the horrors of sickness and salvation is changing it around. And Jesus had come to save us. This is why he's going to the cross. These are all mini pictures of what he's achieving. He achieved in his death upon the cross of the kingdom that he's bringing in, where there will be no more sickness, disease, demons or death. There'll be no disaster to fear. This is what Jesus is bringing in. This is the mighty king. This is the mighty savior. And I want to say to you today, he's bigger than your problems. He's bigger 
than our fears. So how are we going to respond to Jesus today? How will you respond to Jesus? Well, there's two potential responses, aren't there? In those uh, issues that you're facing. We can either be fearful or we can have faith. Faith in Jesus. Two options really, isn't it? Keep being frightened. Trust Jesus. Now it's, it's easy to say those words. I've, I've had a week of wrestling with some fears. Don't know about you. It's quite easy, actually, to come to church and sing songs about trusting God, trusting the Lord Jesus. I enjoy them. I love them. I feel good. I enjoy singing them. But actually, do you know what? Living it? That's tough, isn't it? When the storms are raging. You know what? If I, 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 we, had, we had two weeks in Cornwall. It didn't rain once. Can you believe that? The sun was shining. Was I fine any of those days? No. Life was great. I loved life. I loved everybody. You know, it, you know I, I could sing all the songs and, oh yes, you know, it was fabulous. But that, that's not really the time of testing, is it? It's when you're in the storm. When, when you know it's beyond you. When you think you're going to die. When you lose all hope. The question is, are you going to trust then? And, and, and it's tough to trust. Um, they're very human. They panic. I, I get it. <laughs> I, I panic. I mean, they're facing imminent disaster and Jesus is fast asleep. That's fascinating, isn't it? Faith is hard in those circumstances where you kind of think, actually, maybe, um, maybe God's fallen asleep. <laughs> I'm in the storm, but he doesn't care. He's asleep. You know, Jesus is in my life, but I'm still in this storm. Doesn't seem to be making a difference. Faith is hard then, isn't it? Or for the woman with her chronic medical problem. Faith can be hard because Jesus can seem unaware of her problems. There he is. He's passing by in the crowd. Doesn't know her. Doesn't appear to know her. And she's had 12 years. Do you not think that this woman uh, prayed to God for healing? Do you not think she cried out many nights that God would change a situation? 12 years is a long time to live in desperation. And Jesus seems unaware. We can pray and pray and pray and, and, and things don't seem to change and and. Trusting is hard then, isn't it? Compare her then to Jairus. I mean, she puts her faith in Jesus, reaches out to touch him, and is healed. He puts his faith in Jesus. And what happens? His daughter dies. Why does Jesus appear to delay when we're in so much distress? Why does God take such a long time to answer our prayers and sometimes never seems to answer the 
prayer the way we want. See, at those times, Christians can give way to fear. But we should notice back in chapter 4, verse 40, that Jesus does seem disappointed with his disciples. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Now why this rebuke? I mean, it was a terrifying storm. And I wonder whether it's really because of their attitude to Jesus in verse 38. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, they're questioning whether Jesus even cares about them. After all that they'd seen of Jesus, after all the time they'd been with him, after the ways they've seen him do incredible things, and they're questioning whether he really cares. I think maybe that's what Jesus is rebuking. When we doubt God's goodness and care and just become overwhelmed by our circumstances, what should we do? What's the antidote to this fear? Now here's a very strange answer. The antidote to fearing these different things is to fear Jesus more. To realize how big Jesus is. See, when... When our view of Jesus is small and our problems are great, we're going to be witless. We won't know where to turn. But when we fear Jesus and understand how great and awesome and authoritative and how, what a great king he is over all things, when we have this huge view of Jesus, our problems will then seem comparatively small And when we fear Jesus, we will not fear these other problems. See, we need to get the identity of Jesus clear in our mind. Verse 41 of chapter 4. Who is this is the right question. Who is this that can still a storm with a word? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this? What do they call him when they woke him up? What do they call him? Teacher. Well, if Jesus is just a teacher, that's a pretty useless person to wake up, isn't it? I love my teachers. Would have been pretty useless in a terrifying storm. No, Jesus is more than a teacher. Do you see this? That this is God in human flesh. Who else could do this? From Psalm 107, who is it that stills a storm? Well, you don't even need Psalm 107 to work that out. Only God can do that. God flattens the storm. God has power over his creation. Who, who could overcome all demonic forces? Only God can do that. Who can, who can give all health? Only God can do that. Who can, who can make things alive? Only God can do that. Do you realize who we're dealing with with Jesus? We're dealing with the God who came in human flesh. What an amazing king. What an amazing savior. Are you trusting him today? Do you see how beautiful and wonderful and astounding this Jesus is? He can turn a storm into peace and calm. He can turn a distressed, fearful madness into sanity. He he can turn disease into health. He can turn death into resurrection life. 
And this is the kingdom that he is bringing in. This is what we will see in his fullness when he comes again. Are you trusting him? Are you trusting him for your salvation? Have you done that in the past? That's great. Are you going to trust him today? Are you going to trust him today? Do you think your problem is bigger than Jesus? Do you think your problem is bigger than Jesus? You just don't know how big Jesus is. That's the, if you think that, you just don't know how big Jesus is. Keep reading Mark's gospel. Keep reading his word. He is bigger than our problems. He is bigger than our fears. Isn't that good news? Let's pray.